Good morning, Hope Astoria. I'm so excited that we get to start our week off in worship, gathered around God's Word. And I want to welcome family, friends, guests that are joining us as this Sunday we begin a brand new sermon series. The title of this series is The Life We Long For. And what we're going to examine is the difference between the lives that we're actually living versus the life that deep down inside every human being is craving for, is reaching for. We live in that tension knowing that there's potential that's unrealized, that there's frustrations that need res resolution, that there's tensions that we wrestle with in our life. And it boils down to that disconnect, that we know that God has created us for our lives to flourish in ways that perhaps are not flourishing at the moment. And we have a choice. We can either continue to live the way we've been living, or we can experience a reset from God. And what we're going to do is journey through scripture and look at how Jesus lived his life and see what that means for us. And so today, we're going to spend time unpacking a really powerful verse, and it'll all make sense why we're looking at this verse in just a few moments. We're going to be looking at John chapter 11, verse 32 and onward. It says this, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he had been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we ask that you would meet us this morning, that you would speak to us, cause your word to come alive to us. Holy Spirit, would you glorify Jesus, fill our hearts with your very presence, and may this morning uh, cause us and help us to fall more deeply in love with you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's been commented about our culture, our society, the way we approach life, that we are very good at experiencing a moment, but not so good at sustaining those moments we experience. Take, for example, the Christmas season. There's all this buildup and all this anticipation, and then the day comes, and right after that, we wrap everything up, take down the tree, and just go back to normal. Uh, it, it, it's not just the Christmas season, it's 
birthdays, it's significant days, it's days of remembrance, moments where we should grieve and pause. We're tempted to just fast forward and try to move as quickly as possible through moments in life that shouldn't just be experienced briefly, but should be sustained because they're powerful, they're significant. And I think about this, especially in light of the fact that we just finished celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And there's a temptation from our society and just from within us to kind of wrap this up and move on to the next thing. But think about what that says about us that we would be tempted to consider moving on to the next thing from the resurrection of Jesus. No, when he rose from the dead, this moment was so momentous and so powerful that we dare not move fast and kind of brush this aside and go on to the next thing. There is no next thing. This is the penultimate expression of God's power and saving, redeeming love that we need to pause and truly sit with and let it shape us. And toward that end, I wanted to take another look at the resurrecting power of Jesus, but not look at it from the angle of his own body rising from the dead, but to take a look at another passage, namely the moment when he raises Lazarus from the dead. And I want to take a look at this moment as a means to better understand our faith in Jesus. Because I truly believe that there's uh, room for us to fully maximize our faith, to fully live it out, that there's, in some ways, there's, there's features to our faith that are unused. Right now, most of us own phones that we don't fully use the technology that's in front of us, which is mind-boggling, that there was a time not so long ago that the computing power that exists in a phone would take an entire city block of computers to, and it wouldn't even rival what is accessible to us in the palm of our hands. Most of us live with devices and products and things that we don't fully utilize. We don't maximize because we haven't taken the time to read the instruction manual and really understand all that it can do. I would argue even more so when it comes to our faith have we truly taken the time to unpack the significance, the implications, and what it means for us to not rush past the empty tomb of Jesus, but to sit with the reality of the resurrection power of our King? And toward that end, we're going to dive into this scripture because this moment in the, in the life of Lazarus, the, the verse that we just read, I want to contend and argue that it actually is not just a miracle, but it actually explains the entirety of our faith. It gives us a window to see the fundamentals of our belief in Jesus, the dynamics, how it works at a very core level. Because when we see this verse, if we parallel what's happening to Lazarus to what it means for us to follow Jesus in this resurrected life that he invites us into, some things really begin to open up for us. The first thing that we can reckon with is the fact that Lazarus couldn't raise himself. He was powerless to change his circumstance. Unless Jesus raised him from the dead, Lazarus would have remained in the tomb. And so we're reading a moment where Jesus calls him out from the tomb 
And one commentator said, if Jesus had not specified Lazarus's name to come out, the entire graveyard would have been emptied out. But he called Lazarus, and Lazarus, prior to Jesus calling him, was helpless, powerless, could not bring himself back to life. It required Jesus to do so. And how that parallels with our faith is what the scriptures teach us, and that is that you and I can't save ourselves. We're powerless. Without God intervening, there's nothing we can do to change our spiritual reality. You know, the fact that we are spiritually dead apart from Jesus raising us is one of the most important and fundamental truths we have to wrestle with. See, we're not telling the world, come follow Jesus so you can become more moral. Come follow Jesus so you can become a religious person. What we are telling the world is, despite your possessions, accomplishments, despite the fact that you want good for the world, that you're a good person, that people respect you and love you, and you're capable of beauty and amazing contributions to this life, you're also spiritually dead, apart from faith in Jesus. We're telling the world that, and that's a hard pill to swallow. Because the fact is, is that there's so many amazing people doing incredible things and, and there is no intention to diminish any of that. But the Christian faith says on top of all the great things happening in our life, there's also the reality of our spiritual connection with God. And what the scriptures teach us is that apart from Jesus raising us from the dead, we're spiritually dead. And we can't change that on our own. I remember as a kid, I, I had these kind of jacked up memories about Christmas morning because I never opened up gifts on Christmas morning. Now, some of you are just like, oh, feeling sad, probably writing something in the chat, poor Chris. But let me just clarify. My mother actually bought me Christmas gifts every single Christmas, but she would buy them early. And they would get to the house October sometimes, November. And from the moment one of us became aware that the gifts were there, it was done. We would harass her, harass her, harass her. I want the gifts, I want the gifts, I want the gifts. And then ultimately she wanted us to smile and be happy. And so what would she do? She gave in. And we would open up our gifts and it would be amazing. And we would enjoy gifts. So while other kids weren't enjoying toys, we were but then Christmas morning would come, and when everyone was opening their gifts, I was not. And so Christmas uh, didn't become fun again until I became an adult and began to exercise restraint and wait to open the gifts with my family Christmas morning. Um, but I, I think about that scene because in many ways, so many people what they're fundamentally missing out on is that they're not opening the gift of God's grace for them. That doesn't mean they're not great people. And if you're watching this and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm confident that you're an amazing person, that you do so much good and that you're loved and respected and you add beauty to this world. But what you haven't done yet, and I implore you to do so, is to open the gift of God's grace. Because that's what's happened for us. As followers of Jesus, the only difference between us and you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, 
It's not that we're morally superior or we got our stuff together in a way that you don't. The big difference is that we've opened the gift of God's grace and accepted it and received it for all that it's saying. And one of the first things that the gift of God's grace tells us that we see in the life of Lazarus, mirrored by his physical reality that he's dead, grace tells us we're broken before it heals us. And the letter to the Ephesians, Paul describes this spiritual death in this way. He says in verse chapter 2, verse 1 and onward, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. You see, Paul is describing our spiritual reality apart from faith in Jesus as this that we are spiritually dead, unawakened to God, that we're unresponsive to his voice. And when we understand that, it actually helps us to reframe and reshape how we see Jesus and what he desires to do, why he came into this world. And he came into this world, lived among us, died, was buried and crucified, not to make us more moral, but to make us alive. He came to make dead people come alive through his power and his work of redemption. But in order to receive that, we have to truly accept our state. That we, like Lazarus, are helpless. We can't raise ourselves. We can't bring ourselves back to life. So what does this mean? For one, when we accept this, it helps us to understand a path forward. It's a sobering reality to realize that at the core of our human struggle is the fact that apart from faith in Jesus, we are spiritually dead. And that until that is rectified and changed, so much of life is window dressing. We're not really addressing the problem. I remember uh, not so long ago, I was in Park Slope, uh, Brooklyn. And it, Park Slope, in many ways, mirrors Astoria, Queens. It's a hip neighborhood, young professionals. And I was outside at a cafe doing some work on my laptop. And I overheard a guy on a conversation as he was walking by. and Because he was talking rather loudly. Um, so we kind of all heard him. And as he was walking past from the moment he gets to the corner up until where I was at, he began to talk about so many just things that are not happening right in his life. Um, his energy is low. His relationships are sour. He, he gave like some really quick, broad descriptions of just some bad things. His work life is struggling. And as he gets to me, I hear him say what he thought would be the ultimate solution. He says, I think I just need to add more kale in my diet. I'll never forget the fact that this is what the dude said. Um, in light of all of his struggles and what's wrong in his life and what needs to change, in his mind, he just needed a little bit more kale. 
and why I think that's a, a humorous thing is because it, I think it, it represents often how we approach our brokenness. We don't want to fully accept how deep the rabbit hole in our souls go and how utterly helpless, like Lazarus, we can't change, we can't bring ourselves back from the dead. Our state, apart from Christ, is one of spiritual death, and we're helpless. There's nothing we could do apart from Jesus intervening, but we don't want to accept that, and we think that really our life is just like marginally uh, jacked up, and that we just need some small changes, that if we just put some kale on it, everything will be better, but nothing uh, could be further from the truth. Our problem, our struggle, our need of God is so deep that a class can't fix it, a new diet won't cure it, a different work environment won't solve it, even though that's what we often put our faith in. If I just change up this area of my life and change up my relationships, that's, that's what's missing. We begin to do all this window dressing. You know, I, I think of what our country has gone through over this last year, and it was at a certain point getting a bit comical how absurdly off we were and actually talking about what mattered. Rather than actually having real conversations about racism and racial injustice and, and just systemic issues that need to change, we're having debates about changing the name of master bedroom in real estate stuff and taking down this statue and that statue. And please hear me, I'm not diminishing some of those statues that came down truly were reprehensible and needed to be addressed. But after the statue comes down, did we actually change things? Did we actually have the conversations that need to be had? Have policies changed? Did, did we get to the core of things? Because if we didn't, then we just did some window dressing on the deeper issues. And a lot of times we want to do window dressing to the brokenness in our soul. But when we recognize the depths of who we are and our need for God, we realize that some window dressing isn't just going to be uh, sufficient. Just adding some kale isn't going to help us. We need Jesus to resurrect us, to bring us from death to life. And if we're not clear on that, we'll carry over this mentality into our faith. If we think that all we need is just some touch-ups and some light work and some marginal remedies and fixes, a class here, an adjustment there, then Jesus will basically become the person that gives us like a slight life makeover rather than him being the one that calls us back to life. The one who stands over the grave of our lives and says, come alive, come forth. That's what our faith proclaims to us, broken, dead people. Jesus comes and says, come alive. I don't want to marginally fix your life. I don't want to slightly adjust it. I don't want to get you to a place where you're just better at accepting some of the jacked up things in our world and you come to peace with brokenness. No, I want to resurrect you. That's what Jesus has come to do. And we need to be clear on when we meet him, he is coming into our lives to not just slightly improve things and make it more manageable. He comes into our life to bring us from death to life. And right now, Jesus is proclaiming over us what he proclaimed over Lazarus' dead body. Come forth. Come back to life. 
I want to restore you. I want to make you new. If you're not a follower of Jesus, hear him calling you saying, I want to make you alive. I want to give you something that your career, your possessions, your accolades will never give you. No relationship could match the worth, the love, the validation that comes from God, your creator, calling you to life. That's what Jesus desires to do. And see, for us as followers of Jesus, being a Christian doesn't mean that we have it all together, that we have it all figured out. But it does mean that we were once dead and now we're alive. It means that we have accepted and keep accepting the truth that we can't save ourselves. It means we've come to terms and keep coming to terms with the fact that our brokenness and inner death is of a quality that we can't save ourselves. But here's what's amazing about this moment as we unpack it further. We see in this moment that Lazarus is raised from the dead. He's no longer dead. He's alive, but he's still bound. See, we notice that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and he comes out of the tomb alive, but he's still bound by grave clothes. I wonder how puzzling that must have been for Lazarus himself, as well as for people that were watching on that day. It's like, you can raise him from the dead, but you couldn't do something about these grave clothes. He's hopping out of the tomb. That's what the scripture tells us, because he's bound with these linen cloths that they would use to prepare the dead uh, with um, these ceremonial procedures. And he's coming out, hopping out of the tomb, alive, but bound with clothes that represent the death of his past, the death that came from his past, his dead self. He's bound up with it. And what I, what I wanna invite us to process is that I really believe this is a picture that is a vivid representation of our journey of, as followers of Jesus. It's an honest picture and it gives us a picture of our path forward because this is important for us to hear and process and understand as followers of Jesus. And that is this, that in Christ, we can have new life, but it doesn't mean that you won't have to unravel some grave clothes. Just because Jesus has caused us to go from death to life does not mean that you and I will not have to journey through unraveling some of the clothes, some of the patterns, the thoughts, the traumatic experiences, things that come from our family of origin, just all the ways that the world has shaped us up until the very moment that we say yes to the Lordship of Jesus. Now we have this new life. We need to not kid ourselves and think that somehow miraculously those things just get brushed away. We can have new life and still be bound to our past. But Jesus comes and he desires to set us free. But let's name the fact that this tension is real. That we can have new life in Christ and still be bound to our past. And I think about a friend of mine who, when he came to faith, he, he grew up in the streets just like I did from the hood. And uh, he hysterically would say, hey, Chris, I'm saved. But you can still catch these hands. And what he was trying to say was basically, hey, I love Jesus. He saved me. He's brought me to faith. 
but if you push me, I could still slap somebody. And we would joke and laugh uh, and obviously encourage him, hey, that's funny, ha, but don't slap people. You know, we don't want you to go to jail. That's not a good way forward. But I realized that for each of us, we have a similar sentence. Maybe your thing is not, I'm saved, but you could catch these hands. But maybe your confession is, I'm saved, but I could still give in to some addictive patterns. I'm saved but I still can view the world through a lens of fear and distrust. I'm saved, but the rejection I experience shapes how I interact with everybody. I'm saved, but I'm not faith-filled. I'm fearful when it comes to being generous with my time, my talent, my treasure. I live closed-fisted. What's your sentence? That sentence represents this reality. You have new life in Christ, but there's still some grave clothes that need to be unraveled. See, when Lazarus comes forth with this new life and he's wrapped in these grave clothes, some amazing things become clear as we begin to relate that moment to our world just even this past year. See, when I think about this last year, when the pandemic began till now, it's a very significant year for all of us. For me, it was quite punctuated this year because our daughter Brielle was born just a few days before the lockdown happened. She was born with Down syndrome. That was, that's been a journey for us navigating through all of this. And then we begin to face uh, just the sins of our country, the sins of racism um, in such, such powerful, vivid ways. And I would love to say that we're done facing that, but we're not. Right now, we're in the middle of seeing such an awful rise in hate crimes against Asian American Pacific Islanders in our country, in our city. And it's important to note, we're seeing a rise that's being mentioned, that's being traced and documented. But if you walk with the Asian American Pacific Islander community, they'll tell you so many times things have happened that they haven't reported that they've brushed it under, that they've tried to move past it. And so th th we're wrestling with so much since all of this began. And it's caused me to reflect as I look at this passage. Because I think so many of us want our world to heal. And we wanted our world to become a better, more just, beautiful place over this past year. And as we felt it, in essence, we've wanted to take the grave clothes off of our world. We wanted our world to experience life. And that's noble and that's good. And I'm talking about, when I say we, I'm talking about Christian and non-Christian alike. We all crave and want our world to be healed. And we want the grave clothes in our society to be stripped away. But here's a problem. Sadly, so many people in our world are trying to remove grave clothes while inwardly being dead themselves. In our world, we have so many that long for justice, that long for change, yet are inwardly dead to their relationship with their creator. It just won't work in this dynamic. Push for change as hard as we can. 
at the end of the day, we'll rid the world of grave clothes, but we won't answer the fuller, more fundamental issue. And that is that if we remain dead inwardly to God, none of life will function. But I'll give you another scenario. Sadly, many Christians experience this tension, but in a different way and equally troubling. For many Christians, we have new life in our souls. Jesus has brought us from death to life. But sadly, we come to a place where we don't care about the death in our world. We see injustice and violence, and we see all sorts of brokenness all around us. And we easily can become numb and apathetic. And we also don't take the time to ask ourselves, if Jesus rose from the dead, and that's supposed to have implications for all of life, how come I'm not caring about death and decay and destruction and injustice happening when in this same broken world, we also had a king rise from the dead? It, 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 in some ways, there's this disease that is all around us and we, we have a cure. We have the ultimate vaccine. Jesus rose from the dead. And if the world could just experience that it could be cured but often as, as followers of Jesus we don't make those connections those conscious connections of thinking what are the implications of this new life in Jesus not just for individual personal souls but what does it look like for this new life to affect all of creation systems and institutions and and all the ways that we interact cities and neighborhoods what would it look like for the grave clothes in our society to be stripped away because we have new life and we proclaim that new life? You know, if there's a spectrum that I think can capture these moments, I often see people that are socially woke but spiritually dead, trying to bring the grave clothes off of society. But I've seen the other extreme as well, people that are spiritually alive, but socially numb and absolutely sleeping to the brokenness all around us. But when we look at this passage, we're reminded of another aspect that's fundamental to our faith. The first thing is that we can't save ourselves. We're, we're truly dead inside and we need Jesus to resurrect us. Only he can do that. The second thing is, after we're made alive, we can't free ourselves. We can't do this on our own either. Because notice, Lazarus comes out of the tomb alive, but it wasn't Lazarus who took the grave clothes off. It was those that were around him. Lazarus couldn't raise himself from the dead, nor could he free himself. He needed a community to be around him. I think it's important for us to wrestle with that and accept the fact that though being in community can be hard, and trust me, as a pastor, I've heard every, every reason, every story possible that you could imagine as to why being connected to a local church is challenging and why some people would rather not because they've been hurt, they've been disappointed. It's, it's challenging on so many levels. I relate to all of that. You know, I'm an introvert. I love to be by myself. Being in community requires intentionality, and I need the grace of God on so many levels. Being in community is hard, but here's the crucial thing. 
It's absolutely necessary if you ever want your grave clothes to come off. If you're just satisfied with having new life in Jesus, professing him as Lord, but being bound up in areas of your life, then don't worry about being connected to community. You're good, but that's where you'll stay. But if you realize that Jesus intends to not just give us new life, but he wants to free us from the, the bounds and the shackles from our past, from the former way of life, then the only path forward is to be in community, to be with others, to walk with Jesus as we walk with others. See, God designed that our growth, our maturity, as a result of the new life that we have in Christ, it will only take place in the context of intentional, consistent relationships with other followers of Jesus. I know it can be hard, and I know this past year has made it even more challenging. It's pushed us even further and deeper into isolation. But if you want to be free from the grave clothes, it will not happen on your own. Your relationship with God alone, though important, though vital, though necessary, won't fully lead to your freedom unless it's your relationship with God and your relationship with God's people combining. Then that's when we have new life and freedom from the grave clothes. We need both. You know, if, if I could be personal just for a moment, uh, recently a friend of mine asked me a very poignant question. Um, said, uh, basically, why are you still pastoring? Um, and he meant it well. He meant it sincerely. And actually, the question was was framed out of concern. Because if you're not aware, um, many pastors have been quitting, resigning. Churches are closing. Um, it, it, it's Pastoring's always been a challenging job. Not, not unlike other jobs. Every job, every vocation has its difficulties. But I think a lot of the difficulties in pastoring have been exacerbated during this time. So challenging on so many levels. And my answer was brief, but heartfelt and sincere. I'm not quitting. I have no intention to quit. I'm not hanging my hat up. I'm not leaving the church or bowing out of ministry. Not because I have some great resolve or I'm stronger or whatever it has nothing to do with me it has more to do with this simple conviction if i'm determined to live life free from grave clothes i can't do that apart from the people of god and if i'm determined to live in a world where the grave clothes that seek to suffocate the life of god will be torn down in our lifetime if I'm determined to live in a world where the people of God can march forward as salt and light and see the beauty of the kingdom of God break into our spaces, then I can't do that apart from the church. It's together that we experience the fullness of new life in Jesus. And it's together that we work toward the grave clothes in our world being torn down because Let's be clear, these are not just personal grave clothes that Jesus has come to free us from. He cares deeply about our broken world. See, though God's new life has burst into the world, there are still vestiges of death all around us. 
Right now, there are prisons being built. And the, the math that goes into prisons being built is related to the reading levels of children at, at certain grades in schools. It, wrap your mind around that. That rather than tend to the brokenness in school systems, rather than actually fix the problem of children not actually learning to the degree that they can, society responds at some back level and says, because of what's not working here, we should start building jails now to prepare for when they are eventually old enough to be housed. If you look at the population of jails, if we just stick to that, the vast majority of inmates are black and brown people. And, and there's something deeply broken about that. If you look at sex trafficking, to take another issue, right now we live in a day where slavery is not over. You realize that? That after we've had modern day prophets that have proclaimed freedom and called for justice, we still live in a world where people are bought and sold like property. There's so much brokenness around us. There's so much broken around human identity. There, there is, there's, there's so much brokenness on so many levels that are, is happening all around us. The political divide that exists in our world, in particular in our country, where people of faith are enmeshed in all this, this co-opting of our faith, where you can't even distinguish where our faith begins and ends and where nationalism begins and ends. And all of these things are taking place all around us. And Jesus wants to be very clear that he's not just interested in stripping away the grave clothes of individuals. He doesn't just want you and I to have more happy, well-adjusted lives and our kids to be happy and our little nuclear family to be happy or even just our church to be happy and well-adjusted. No, he desires us that have experienced and tasted new life to go into this world and proclaim life to the death and brokenness that exists all around us. While there's people that are going to sleep hungry, while there's children who are not being properly educated, while there's systems that are aimed at keeping people down and not allowing them to have full access to all the opportunities that exist in this country, there's something that should cry out in us and say, those are grave clothes I will not accept. I want to see Jesus tear those grave clothes off of our world. As one who's been freed from those grave clothes, we have the power, the authority, the clarity to say, that's death, and we need to tear that down. And while we work for that, while we see these systems begin to change and policies and neighborhoods change and transform, we can tell people the reason why we are for their flourishing is because we have been brought from death to life. As we dive into this series over the next couple weeks, Jesus is going to call us to let go of some grave clothes, some things about our past, some brokenness that are not allowing us to live the life we long for. Change is coming if we would receive it from Jesus. With that, I want to invite you as we close, could you begin to talk to the Lord right where you're at and ask him to help you identify what are your grave clothes? What are the things that seek to suffocate and mute the life of God in you and not allow you to live fully into the reality of Jesus' resurrecting power that's at work in us who believe?
But I want to ask you as well, as you're talking with the Lord, what are the grave clothes in society that he's calling you to be a part of dismantling and tearing away? That you and I could be part of a company of people that say, Lord, bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Let us see your goodness in the land of the living. With those thoughts in mind, join me as we pray and close. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be with us now and help us to process what you're saying to us through this text, through the life of Lazarus, this miracle that's so much more than a miracle that helps us understand such core dynamics of our faith in you. Jesus, may we be a people that are alive, spiritually alive. If anyone that's watching, joining, that is not a follower of you, that has not passed from death to life, would you speak to them? Would you revive them? Would you make them alive as they turn their hearts and faith toward you? But Lord, those of us that call on your name and are your sons and daughters, Lord, may we recognize where grave clothes are still binding us up and may we call out for your deliverance, your freedom, as only you can provide a deliverance and freedom that is equally for the world, not just for our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.